Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. So today we're going to start a new series of messages, and I'm not sure, five, six, seven parts, something like that. Um, they always grow on me. So I uh, want to start a series, and we're just going to call this Going Deeper. Going Deeper. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 42 and said, deep calls to deep. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. So the deep in God, and are called to the deep in you. And it's really talking about spirit to spirit. In Proverbs 20, verse 27, it says that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. So when God speaks to you, when he illuminates you, when he reveals something to you, God does not reveal it to your head. It doesn't go to your brain, right? Because God is a spirit. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, tells us that you are a spirit. And Proverbs 20, 27 says, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. So when God speaks to you, when God illuminates you, when God does something in you, for you, it's always in your spirit first. In fact, uh, we were talking in between services, and I said, miracles always take place on the inside first. Anything we receive from God, it's an inside job. First, it happens in your heart. So Hosea the prophet said this. He said, break up your fellow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord. So we're going to talk about how do we go deep? How do we break up that fallow ground? Isaiah said it like this. He said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So the two ways that we get away from God in the things that we do, but in the things that we think, right? You need to forsake your thoughts, right? And, and it is absolutely huge uh, what you think about, because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Right? In fact, when the Bible talks about this, uh, it talks about your, your, your thoughts. Um, some of the translations say your imaginations. Right? So for a springboard text, what we're going to do is going to go to Romans chapter 1. We're going to use this every, every time in this series. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. It says, although they knew God, every, every culture in the world, worships, recognizes that there is a God. Atheism is really something that's new and it's intellectual. Right? Uh, I have a friend who was in Vietnam, and he said that in the, the, the group of people that he was with, and this is a couple hundred men, he said he was the only one that he knew was a Christian. He said, but there were a lot of atheists that would mock him. He'd read his Bible, he'd pray, they'd mock him. He said, but when the bullets started flying and the mortars started exploding, he said, there was not one atheist. He said, he said, some of those atheists, they were crying out like little girls, God, help! <laughs> he said, there's no atheist in the foxhole. Right? So although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. 
but became futile in their thoughts or their imaginations. And their thoughts began to work against them. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And in this verse, you see four steps in literally moving away from God. Now, you can be at a different degree or level, but there's four different things that are mentioned here as a person moves away from God. And they really are progressive, right? The first one is they don't glorify him as God. Secondly, they're not thankful. Thirdly, they become vain in their thoughts or their imagination. And then lastly, their foolish hearts are darkened. Now, here's what's interesting. You can reverse the way people walk away from God, and it's the way back to God. It is the way to go deeper in the things of God. Just like these people mentioned here, as they're doing these four things, they get farther and farther and farther away from God, right? As you reverse them, you get closer. You get deeper and deeper into the things of God. So the, re- the reverse returns you to God and brings you deeper into the things of God. So, number one, glorify God. Number two, be thankful. Number three, recognize the power of imagination or meditation. Right? And then fourthly, having a good heart. Now, by the way, Jesus said this, and we'll get to this in the series, but Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or else make the tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. Now, Jesus is talking about your heart. He says you can make it good, or you can make it bad. So when we get to that point number four uh, in a few weeks, we'll be talking about how to have a good heart. But what it tells us, the first step away from God is they didn't glorify him as God. So the first step in going deeper in the things of God is to learn how to glorify him as God. So how do we glorify God as God? You know, I thought about it, glorify, like, how do I do that? How do I glorify God? Well, you look it up in the dictionary and it says to render esteem, all right, to value to prize, to reverence, to literally take God and say, God, I value what you say. I value you above everything else. That's how we esteem God. Now, literally what we're going to do to esteem God, we have to disesteem other things. But how many of you realize there's things that try to take the place of God? Right? And we have to disesteem those things in order to esteem God. And literally, the way that we glorify or esteem God is realizing that God speaks to us through his word by his spirit. God speaks to you through his word by his spirit. I've had people say, well, God never speaks to me. Man, he speaks to me every day, all the time. Every time I open the Bible, he's talking, right? Because the Bible is God speaking to you. Now, in Psalms 138 and verse 2, God said this. He said, I have ma- you have magnified your word above all your name. God has magnified his word above his name. We can say it this way. If God does not do his word, he's not God anymore. 
He will no longer be God if he does not honor and do his word. He has magnified his word above all his name. Now, the question is, to what degree have we esteemed or magnified or glorified his word? We need to do the same thing. In Jeremiah 1 and 12, God said, I'm watching over my word to perform it. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Psalms 89, God said, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone forth from my mouth. God's watching his word to perform it. The apostle Paul, as he's talking to the Thessalonians in chapter two, he said, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as is is in truth, the word of God, which works or effectively works in you who believe. He said, you recognize that the Bible is not men speaking to you. It's God speaking to you. And that is the first thing that we need to do. If we're going to esteem God, we're going to glorify God. We have to esteem his word and put his word above every other thing. So let me give you just a couple examples, right? In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner or the custom of some, but exhorting one another so much you more as you see the day approaching. So it says what we need to do is we need to meet together as born-again believers, get together in church, worship God, esteem his word. Now, 20 years ago, they considered a church, a, a regular church member, somebody who came to church three out of four weeks. 20 years have passed, and today a regular church member is considered somebody who comes once a month. Is that crazy? What are we doing? We're disesteeming the church and we're disesteeming the word of God. Right? And I've had people say, well, I just need time with my family. And I agree, you should spend time with your family, but don't take time away from God's family to spend time with your family. Right? Um, another example. How many of you realize we are living in a sexualized culture? I mean, they can't sell toothpaste without it being for sex appeal. Right? Our culture is sexualized, right? So a while back, I was talking with an adult who was a Christian living with somebody they weren't married to, right? So Jeannie and I are talking to this person, and and the scripture that I give them is this. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess your own vessel with sanctification and honor not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. For God has not called us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects us does not reject man, but God who also has given us the Holy Spirit. So, so we present this to the person and they say, I'll pray about it. Now listen, listen really careful. You do not pray about the Bible. You obey the Bible. <laughs> yeah. It'd be kind of like... <clears throat> You tell your, your, your kids, you know, I don't want you to be around that person. And they say, well, I'll pray about it. <laughs> we, we aren't supposed to pray about the Bible. No, we're supposed to do the Bible. 
But what we're doing is we're esteeming our desires. We're esteeming culture. We're esteeming people's opinions above the word of God. But if you're going to glorify God, you need to esteem his word above culture, above desires, above opinions, and disesteem other things, right? whatever that other thing might be. Another one, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Try me or prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing, there won't be room enough to receive it. You know, people say, well, I know I should tithe, but I need the money. Or I I want to get this, and so that's I'm I'm not going to obey the Bible because there's something I want. Now, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 12 says this. Listen to this. For if there's first a willing mind, there's a want to. It's accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. Now, for, for years, I did not really understand what this verse was saying. It sounded kind of confusing. So, so let me break it down for you, unpack this verse. This verse is saying that when you're going to come and worship God with your finances, if you're not careful what you'll do, instead of saying, God, thank you for all what you've blessed me with, you'll say, God, I know you've blessed me a lot, but I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I don't have the next thing. And so instead of worshiping God for what God has done, we penalize God for what we don't have. So let me just say this. Your greedy greedy eyeballs will always have something they want that you don't have. Always. Uh, I, I remember, I don't know if I was 10, 11, I might have been 12 years old. My, my, my grandfather, I, I remember right where we were standing, he had a little farm, and we were, we were at his farm. And I remember right where we were, kind of under a willow tree by the pond. And Grandpa sat me down, so to speak. You know, we're, I say he sat me down. We were standing up, all right? And, and he said, now, I want you to listen to me. I'm going to tell you about money. Now, I got to realize, I was brought up Dutch, all right? You say, what does that mean? That, we would not let you out of the crib, until you could balance the checkbook, all right? So here's what Grandpa says, all right? Grandpa says, the first 10 cents of every dollar you get, he says, goes to God. He said, now the next 10 cents, he says, you need to invest somehow. He says, and then you live on the rest, all right? Now, I want to give you some scripture which really goes against our culture, which... A lot of scripture. I mean, a lot of scriptures do. All right. Proverbs 24, verse 7 says, prepare your outside work and make it fit for yourself in the field. He said, now, the first thing you do, he says, you plant your orchard. You get your vineyard planted. All right. And afterwards, you build your house. Now, he's saying you get seed in the ground that's going to be producing for years and years and years and years, right? And then you take care of your house. I want to tell you what most Americans do is they buy their dream house. First thing, right? They want to buy their dream house and then take 30 years to pay for it, right? 
And all of that time, they never have to prepare their work in the field. They never plant the orchard, right? They, they never plant the, 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 the vineyard. In other words, they never invest in a company and in stocks or bonds or whatever. They never get something that's going to be producing a continual income, right? Where the Bible tells us, first take care of the stuff outside, right? And then build your house. I thought that'd go over, but I just thought I'd share that with you. A little biblical wisdom. All right. So, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful in one way or another, showing us the truth. You know, we live in a culture that does not even believe that there is absolute truth. Right? But the Bible will show us the truth. It will expose our rebellion, correct our mistakes, train us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together in shape for the task that God has for us. We've got to value, we've got to esteem the word above our culture, our friends, what people think, what we feel. Now, Satan knows the value of the word. In Genesis chapter 3, when he comes to tempt Adam and Eve, one of the first things out of his mouth is, well, God said, what, what is God said? No, God said, you'll die. You will not surely die. You will. God said one thing. The first thing that the devil did was counter what God said because he knows the power of the word. In Mark 4, as Jesus is talking about how the word of God works, how the kingdom works, he said, the seed is sown. He said, but immediately, Satan comes immediately to take a word away the word that was sown in their hearts. The devil knows the power of God's word and that we need to esteem, glorify, value that word. In Mark's gospel, again, the, the fourth chapter, the 18th verse, Jesus said, these are the ones sown among the thorns. He said, they're the ones who hear the word. The cares of this world. How many of you know every one of us have cares? The cares of this world. Every one of us have them. But if they become our focus, right? Instead of esteeming God and his word, the Bible says you will not produce fruit in the kingdom of God. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. I mean, how many of you know you need money every week? Probably every day. You need it. But when it becomes your priority and it becomes your number one pursuit and you put your trust and your confidence in money instead of the word of God, the Bible says you will not produce fruit. The desire for other things. Uh, it, it can be a hobby. It can be a person. It can be a relationship. It can be a position. You know, when anything becomes the number one pursuit of our life, instead of our relationship with God, we are not going to produce fruit in the kingdom of God. Right? So Jesus said the word is sown, but Satan does everything he can, comes in every way that he can to cause that word to not produce in our lives. Uh, the psalmist said it this way in Psalm 119. He said, therefore, I consider your precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. He said, I esteem, I glorify your word above everything else, every other opinion, every other thought. I esteem your word because you're right, 
about everything. God's right about forgiveness. God's right about marriage. He's right about raising kids. He's right about money. God is right about everything. Now, the, uh, the Barner's Research Group, a Christian group, said that of born-again Christians, 9% have a biblical worldview. 9% have a biblical worldview. In other words, if we put 10 of us to, in a line, one of us esteems God's word above everything else. One of us, right? Now, that's sad. I don't believe that's true in this church, but that's true overall, right? And esteeming God's word is like a scale, right? If you have a scale and each side has got something you can put it in, when you esteem God's word highly, right, it takes and it, you disesteem something else. And if you disesteem something else and put more weight on that thing over here, if you put more value on it, all right, then God's word, you see, that thing has more weight and it controls your life. Um, You need to honor, prize, and value God's word above everything else. That glorifies God. That is esteeming God. I, I remember talking with somebody a while back and I said, well, the Bible says, and this is what they said to me. They said, yeah, but Oprah said. <laughs> right? And I don't really care what Oprah said. Right? And I'm not picking on Oprah. I, I don't care what anybody else says. Right? People say, Pastor, what do you think? Who cares what I think? I didn't want to know what God thinks. All right? I didn't want to know what God thinks. So, uh, See, so often we're concerned about what our culture says, our friends are saying, our feelings, our desires. We're esteeming them. We're glorifying them over God and his word. But we've got to glorify the word, esteem his word above everything else. And when you esteem one thing, you're disesteeming everything else. And when we don't, esteem God's word the way that we should glorify his word, we're going to lose our victory, our peace, God's blessing, right? We cannot allow anything else to occupy that position that God and his word should have. In fact, Jesus said this, Luke 14, verse 26, if anyone comes after me and doesn't hate his father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He's saying in comparison to the way that we love God, that we glorify God, that we esteem God in his word. Every other relationship that we have is like hate. Now, let me just say this. I love God. I glorify God. I esteem God more than I love Jeannie. And she loves God esteems God, glorifies God more than she loves, glorifies, or esteems me. And I'm glad she does. That's the way it's supposed to be. I've had people say this, you know, I know I should come to Res Life, but my family all goes to this other church, and I don't want to upset them. You know what we're doing? We're esteeming family, somebody else rejecting us, over God's word. 
But when we esteem God highly, we're going to disesteem certain other things, right? I remember a while back, a guy said to me, he said, uh, came up after service. He said, well, I just don't believe what you're teaching. And, and I said, you don't believe the Bible? And, and he says, well, blah, 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 blah. No. <laughs> but, but here's the deal. Again, I don't care what I think. I didn't care what he thought. Honestly, I don't care what you think. Right? I want to know what God thinks. And that's what David said. He said, I esteem your word to be true about all things. We need to put God in his word first. You know, if your boss says to you, uh, you, you know, you, made the, you, you got the sale. I want you to tell them we can have the product to them in six weeks. But because of everything that's going on, it's going to take at least six months. Now, are you going to esteem your boss or are you going to esteem God in his word? What are you going to esteem? And again, if you're going to esteem God in his word, you're going to disesteem your boss. Now, he may be very upset, right? But the Bible tells us not to lie, not to bear false witness. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That Greek word is, can also be translated disesteeming, disesteeming the shame. Now, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus disesteemed what people thought, being rejected, right? being betrayed, being mocked, going through the pain of crucifixion. He disesteemed that because he said, I want to do the will of God. The apostle Paul said this. He said, but these things that were gained to me, those I count loss for Christ. Right? Now listen, here he goes. Yet doubtlessly, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, in whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. Dung. Cow manure. That I may win Christ. He says, I count my predicate. My, my pedigree, my education, my possessions, my reputation, my freedom. He said, I count all of those things like dung. He said, because what I want is I want to do the will of God. I want to do the will of God, right? So he disesteems things that many people would put tremendous value on. And he's doing this while he's sitting in jail. And he's writing and he's saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And he says it again and again and again. He said, for me to live as Christ and to die, it is gain. Right? So we need to be glorifying God. I, I remember as a college student, I had just gotten saved. I was attending Calvin College. And uh, my parents wanted me to stay at Calvin after I got saved and go to seminary. And when I was praying, I felt very, very, I, I, I literally, I got a word from God to leave and to go to a certain Bible college. And I remember the, the struggle that was going on inside me. I didn't want to disesteem my parents, right? But to esteem God, that's what I had to do. 
I had to say, you know what? I love you. I want to honor you. But this is what God is calling me to do, right? I know people who say, you know, I know God wants me to tithe, but I don't. I know he wants me to forgive, but I'm not going to. He wants me to share my faith. He wants me to make a commitment to church. He, he wants me to, to uh, become uh, a volunteer in a certain department. And again, I think I mentioned already in this service, I had somebody come up to me. I said, they know God wants me to come here, but my family doesn't want me to. Are we going to esteem our family? Or are we going to esteem God? What are we going to do? Right? Uh, we need to say, God, I esteem. I esteem you, I glorify you, I glorify your word above everything else. David said this. He said, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of silver and gold. He said, God, being in the middle of, of your will, doing what you have said is more important to me than all the silver and gold you could stack up. Right? He's saying, you know, well, Paul said it like this. He said, well, we look not at the things that are seen because the things that are seen are temporary, right? But the things that are not seen, he said, we're looking at the things that are not seen and the things that are not seen are eternal, right? We need to esteem spiritual things. We need to esteem the things of God. Uh, I've got some binoculars right here, all right? This is what it's kind of like when you esteem something. It just becomes big and it fills your life. All right? Oh, my. You forgot to shave on the right side. Oh, look at there. Even up in a belt. Hi there. How you doing up there? Nice to see you. All right? Now, now it's magnifying. It, it, you know, when you esteem it, it just becomes huge in your life. But do you know what happens when you turn these things around? Right. Oh, I mean, front row literally looks like they're 125 yards away. You know, that's kind of how you disesteem something. It's just not that important. It does not affect you, right? Because you've made up your mind that God's word, his word concerning all things is right, right? And you hate, you disesteem every false way. Don't let family, culture, friends, desires, right, take the place of what the Word of God should be in our life, right? We need to glorify God. That means that you put Him in that place where you esteem Him and His Word above any and every other thing. You say, yeah, but Pastor, you just don't understand all the problems I've got. All right. I, I, I want to, uh, here's, what, here's what Apostle Paul said. All right. He said, but our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You say, yeah, well, he had light afflictions, but I've got problems. Let me read you some of his light afflictions, right? <laughs> Five times, he said, I received 40 stripes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Uh, by the way, they would take off your shoes and they beat the bottom of your feet with rods until they break bones. Right? Once I was stoned and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. 
in journeys often, in perils often, of waters and perils of robbers, perils of my countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting and in cold and nakedness. Besides all this, that comes upon me daily, the concern for all the churches. I don't think you've got any problems compared to his. All right? And he said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. You say, yeah, but I've been in this stinking marriage for 30 years. Light affliction, but for a moment. How many know 30 years in comparison to eternity? You are so quiet. (laughs) We need to esteem God's word, God's will. We need to glorify him in our life by disesteeming so many things that the world considers to be so very, very important. All right. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? In a group of this size and those online, there's people in about every spiritual condition, people that have lived for God for decades. And then there's people that you're here today and you're away from God. You don't know where you stand with God. Now, the Bible says this. Listen, it says these things we've written to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. The Bible says you should know that you have everlasting life. Know you're forgiven. Know you're right with God. Know that you're on your way to heaven. And the truth is that if you don't know that, you are not where you should be with God. Now, we're going to to pray together. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. The Bible says whosoever will call on the name of the Lord, will be saved. And we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And when we say amen in just a moment, if you'll pray this from your heart, you're going to be right with God. So I'm going to ask everybody, bow your head, please. uh, Make these words your own, but pray this prayer out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king, my Lord, and I am going to live for him. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that my past is gone. And I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.